0: So I think it taught me it is far more important to do. If you'd asked me in November 2021, when we were starting the process, I'd have said, yeah, it's okay, but you know, got this agency in, I'm sure they'll tell us, you know, whatever. And then we'll kind of just come up with some words, and then we'll stick it on the website and that's it. I hadn't realized how much it was going to change everything.
1: Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Fiona Czernyowska, CEO of Source Global Research. I've known Fiona since before she founded Source, and have enjoyed watching it grow over the years, becoming the definitive source of data and insight on the consulting industry and professional services more broadly. Fiona talks about how they knew they needed to think more deeply about their purpose and how they went about it. She also describes a fast, flexible approach to strategy implementation, an approach directly linked to their purpose, which many organizations could use. Join me for an informative, engaging, and insightful discussion. Fiona, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit both about yourself and what Source Global Research does?
0: I'd love to, and thank you for asking me to be on the podcast. So I'm a slightly strange person in terms of what my background was and how I got to where I am today. I'm an art historian by training. I did English at university. I then went and studied art history in London. My first job was at the Victoria and Albert Museum, which I have as a curator. I was in the prints and drawings department. I have to say it was the most amazing place to learn to be a consultant. One of the things the V&A does is people would bring art objects from their homes off the street, and you'd have to give what they call an opinion. You couldn't price things, but you give an opinion. And I would be in a room and I'd know nothing about the subject area. Everyone there was very specialised, and you'd have to ask questions. So I learned a very early lesson about the importance of asking questions. So learned a lot there, but also learned that perhaps art history was not the place I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Um, And so realized I was much more interested in what made organizations efficient and joined a startup consulting firm who I have to say was mad to take me. Um, I knew nothing about business and I learned an amazing amount doing that, particularly from the person who became the managing director. He believed anything was possible. You could find a solution to anything. I would just see him walk his way through extraordinary difficult meetings. Of course, in a small business, you see all of this and was so, so impressive. I left there um, not being quite sure what I wanted to do next, then moved almost straight away to what was then Coopers & brand as a consultant. And again, I found myself in interesting space with lots of interesting people, but Coopers, um, this is obviously prior to the merger with PW, was, it was a bit like kind of a gorilla outfit. It was extraordinary fun to work out, full of lots of entrepreneurs, but it felt like we were all fighting our little client skirmishes up in the hills. And I then realized I was very interested in what made consulting work and indeed not work. So I left there to be head of strategic planning for EY in the UK, which was fascinating because here I was then seeing how a firm worked, how it thought about it, how it planned. And one of the things that was very striking was the extent to which there wasn't enough information. We couldn't really make good decisions about the future. Mm -hmm. So by this point, I knew I wanted to write books. I wanted to do research on what's the evidence behind consulting. There are some really big and I think still unanswered questions about consulting like, does it make sense to take the brightest and best from business school and put them into consulting firms? Should they work in client organizations? We don't really know the answer to that question and you could argue the case in both ways. Hmm. So after being at EY and indeed then having my son, I started writing books. I've written 12 books, two of which were for The the Economist and then about 15 years ago, decided that there was something in this that would turn into a business. Mm -hmm. So Source global research. Our aim is to help professional service firms take the big decisions they have to make. And we do that because we create data, we find data, we look for evidence, and we are totally, totally objective and independent. So professional service firms, many of them are still partnerships, they have complex governance structures, and it is a very complicated market. It's not as though that there's a product that you can look at and you can compare your competitors' ingredients, for example. Every consulting, I mean, you'll know this, Belgium, every consulting project is different. Mm -hmm. So it's a fantastically difficult market to think through from strategic points of view and to gather evidence for. And that's what we do. All the big consulting firms have used our services in one form or another. And more than just consulting firms, we do lots of work outside the consulting industry. Decisions range from, should we go into that market? Should we pull out of that market? Should we launch this product? Do our clients like us? Um, Should we buy that company? Should we make changes the way that we deliver services. And we always joke that we get asked the questions which of course firms can't solve for themselves. And they can't solve them sometimes because their own lens as to how they think about themselves gets in the way. But they often can't solve them because there is no data. They need a different way of thinking about it. So we get the really difficult projects. I mean, there are ones where we've had meetings and people have said, could you think about this, this, this? And I've gone, I've said, yes, we can, but I think we do need to think about it. I literally want to go away and put my head in a bucket of iced water to think about this problem because I have no idea how we can answer the question that you've asked. So it's a lot of fun. I have amazing colleagues who patiently bear all of that and that's who we are. Mm-hmm.
1: Just a few questions about that. One is um, just to get a sense of the sort of size and you know it's 15 years, has it has it been a nice steady sort of glide up to where you are or have there been a few ups and downs, sort of what's all that look like?
0: So. Obviously, started with nothing. We have about 50 people, almost all based in London, certainly all based in the UK. It kind of bounced along the bottom for quite a few years to start with in terms of we didn't really know what we were doing. We knew there was something out there about information and professional services, and we tried various permutations of this, some of which were complete flops. We did briefing notes against how do consulting firms do supply chain, what's different about the way Firm X does it to Firm Y, and we go and talk to Firm X and Firm Y, and Firm X and Firm Y couldn't tell us what was different, it was like, well, we're innovative where we collaborate and we're going, okay, it's all very similar. It became quite hard to write something interesting in that context. A friend of mine says that when you start a business, you circle around what becomes your core focus and you do these big arcs around it. And that's what we were doing. We were doing big arcs around, should we try this? Should we try that? And we were making money all the way through, but we were tiny. And then as it started to dawn on us that actually what we needed to do was invest in technology that helped us gather the data that people were missing, We then started to create unique assets, at which point the business started to grow much more quickly. It grew, I suppose, 15 to 20% a year prior to the pandemic. Not completely straight line, but kind of within that sort of range. Hit the pandemic, and of course, in April, we were like, in 2020, like everybody else, we were thinking, what happens next? We were lucky enough to have the money in the bank to say to everybody, we can pay your salaries till the end of the year, nobody needs to get worried or stressed by this, so let's use the time to invest and think about things differently we didn't grow. In fact, we shrank during 2020. And then what followed on from that was huge growth in 2021 and just phenomenal growth. 2022, haven't seen the same level of growth, but we kept to where we were. Then this year, although the macroeconomic situation remains very uncertain, our reading of the data we get from clients is that they're more accepting of where they are and also think we'll go on for longer. In other words, they now need to adapt. And that helps because that means that people will start taking decisions. Our clients are professional service firms. When their clients start taking decisions, they can start taking decisions. So already this year, it's been a very, very busy start to the year. So some ups and downs. Sure. Perhaps some of our making in the first instances, and then the market being quite tricky in the last few years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You talked a few minutes ago about sort of sources aim. Would you also say that's your purpose or might you see – the purpose is somehow slightly different, bigger, smaller, whatever?
0: So I would say it's our purpose. We worried about purpose for quite a long time because you know ultimately we're in a business that helps professional service firms grow more effectively. Now I can see that if they grow, they will employ more people, they'll create more wealth and therefore as economic forces, and of course this is a $1.3 trillion industry worldwide. If we can help that, then we're helping the world economy. At the other end of the scale, it's not as though there's an obvious social good that comes from that other than more people having jobs. So we thought about purpose in one way and now we've got an additional way of thinking about purpose. So purpose was partly and historically about being a good business, by which I mean that we're a business, we're not a charity. We need to make money, but we don't need to make excessive profits. We don't need to pay the people at the top excessive amounts of money. We need to treat people who work for us fairly and decently. We need to be able to move with the times. We want to be a good business. And I'm a kind of believer in what Mark Carney talked about to do with the kind of good capitalism. Capitalism creates wealth. Wealth gives people money and food and housing. And I worry that we lose sight of that sometimes when thinking about the third sector. So we do all of that good. We give 50 people work. And throughout the pandemic, we gave them meaningful work to do that gave them purpose. And I think that is good. However, that was kind of how we ran the business and, and continue to run it but we did want to make it more outward facing. So we did an exercise last year and deeply indebted to one or two colleagues who really persuaded me that we should get a marketing agency to help us do the thinking around this. They didn't come in and tell us something that we didn't know. They came and helped us see what we knew, but weren't saying. And the purpose therefore is to be the first place that professional firms come to when they're trying to make their biggest, most important decisions. That is our purpose. We are there to help them grow. And we're not doing kind of random bits of growth. We're there specifically to help them make big decisions, which typically involve a lot of partners shouting at each other and not necessarily agreeing, because governance and professional services is very complicated. It's typically markets that are complex, fast changing, for which there is no data. And that's our job. Our job is to provide the data and to be the objective voice into their organisation.
1: So you worked with a marketing agency. Yes. Um, if you can, just take me through sort of the, you know, the, what's the process you went through? How long did it take? Who got involved? Just kind of the plumbing level, if I could put it that way.
0: Absolutely. So so yes, we got the plumbers in. Um, and we had some workshops for various people. Um, and who were those people? It was a mixture of what was then the kind of emerging CEO leadership team. We didn't really have a CED leadership team at that point. But there were people that, had a lot of influence over different parts of the business we ran focus groups so almost everybody was part of a group talking about our values and we also put the agency in touch with um, some of our clients so they could speak to them directly and take their own view of the things that we were telling them they then had some facilitated meetings where they kind of fed back to us what they were hearing and it was then a discussion around what we thought we could do Now, the purpose bit that we have, that being the first place that professional services come for when they're making big decisions, really came out of some work that I'd done as a consultant many years ago with a road recovery company. And they were looking to see what their purpose should be. And I was a cynical consultant. It's like, oh, well, here we go again. It's going to be something kind of like first choice in the market. One of them stood up and said, well, we need to be the first number that somebody rings. when they're standing on the side of a a freeway or a motorway. And it's pouring with rain, their car's broken down, we need to be the first number they call. And that was so clear. And it's kind of, you then think, okay, the entire organization, it still gives me goosebumps now, actually, the entire organization could be repurposed around this is what we have to deliver. So I mentioned that in the meeting. I'm not saying that because I was the one brilliant mind there at all. There were lots of brilliant minds there. But that was the idea, it was there lurking in our organization. And what the agency did, and those conversations did, is kind of find it. They, they, they showed us it was there. They got us to articulate things that we hadn't thought of as being relevant, and they showed us the relevance of it. So they took some of that and came back with it. This is the purpose, and this is what you're talking about. And they then framed it in terms of, well, what really matters? I mean, the way that we articulate this to people, and it's become a watchword in the business, is we focus on what really matters. And it was interesting when they said this because suddenly we realized we use that phrase a lot because a typical project for us might be, there's a firm who wants to understand their brand and how it's playing out in Asia, or they want to, they're thinking about making an acquisition and should they buy this particular firm and it's not uncommon in the circumstances that they get provided with a small truckload of data and bits of paper and stuff to read. And what we try and do is we have all of that, but we try and boil it down to, well, what really matters. We've just sent out a report summary that's 65 pages, and I'm thinking that's still too long. But we've restructured so much around what really matters. You can hear it in the business. People will say, is this what really matters? And it will go ping in everybody's heads. And the more we say it, the more it pings in people's heads. We've named the rooms after our different values. It's just a whole load of things that came out of it about cultural change as much as front office change if you like which has made it unbelievably powerful
1: and how long did that process take
0: it took i suppose it took in its entirety from the first meeting to the point where we launched a new website about seven months
1: okay so there was also a new website involved and a few other things
0: there was so we started sort of november december and we pretty much knew where we were going by february march in terms of the main points there was then a couple of months where there was a lot of iteration about is it that word or this word which Mm -hmm. we're a wordy organization. You know, we care about the right words being used. In parallel to that, at that point, we were then designing the new front end of the website and so on. So, yes, the thinking bit probably took about three months, the execution part about four months.
1: Okay, that's very helpful. You sort of referenced some of your colleagues coming to you about this issue of purpose. You know, hearing what they had to say, what led you to think, oh, yeah, this is actually something we need to focus on and do something about.
0: So the average age of people in our business is 31 years. So we have a lot of young people, and we have a lot of people who join us. We well, have some people that you know, join straight from university. We have a lot of people who have been in the organisation for years who have only worked for us. Especially the younger people coming in, they wanted to know where we stood on sustainability, mm. and it made us think. Okay, so we now need to, you know, employee value proposition like everybody else, despite being, I hope, a good place to work and having wonderful people. We had lots of people leaving last year to go off and travel the world, do their dream jobs and things like this. So we thought about employee value proposition. We were thinking about whether in the future we would be asked to have ESG-related credentials to be able to get through a procurement process. We can foresee a point in a year or so's time where having a box that we've ticked there might be an advantage. So we were thinking about in terms of sustainability. And of course, prior to the pandemic, that was mostly can we cut down on photocopying and printing stuff? which was fairly easy to do. The pandemic, we also started to realize it's not just about environmental impact. We also need to think about social impact. And like other firms, we were seeing, watching people who were not working in optimal circumstances in their homes. So there were probably two things. There was the kind of the change that was going on in that sense we should do something about this. And there was the driver within the business in terms of young people joining who wanted to see it. And then if we're going to attract people, what will that be? So once we'd done the branding exercise and got that kind of big message sorted out, We then spent two or three months working on our strategy. And the strategy was, okay, if we want to be the first place that people turn to, what does that look like? What do we need to do over the next three years? We're kind of a year into a three or four-year plan here. But what we then did, which has worked out incredibly well, was we have what I call mini strategy projects. Mm -hmm. We probably need a nicer name for these things. But during lockdown, because there wasn't as much work around, We were starting to think about very specific things about this part of our business isn't quite right. What's different? And we got small teams of people from different parts of the business to focus on those areas. And as we came out of lockdown, we did more of those. And we said, you have to meet in person because we're trying to get people back to their office in a nice way, giving them incentive to get back to the office. And they're, of course, talking to people that they didn't normally work with. And they came up with brilliant ideas. So there were some rules around it. We said project can't last more than six weeks. You can't do more than two internal projects. After all, it's not really your day job. And it has to be small teams and it's very focused. You have to have a very clear problem statement and you then need to do a presentation back to what at that point had emerged as a small senior leadership team. And then we discuss it with you. So there's a chance for these people to interact and learn from the experience. And then we give you formal feedback about what we're going to do. And since doing that, as soon as we've done the bigger strategy piece, which was summer of 2021, we kicked off a whole series of these things again. And people love them. They've covered all kinds of things, and we love it because it doesn't mean as a kind of a leader of the business, you've got to come up with all the solutions. And one of them was sustainability. So this is why it's a long answer to your question. So one of the ones was, okay. here are all these young people. They really care about this. In the course of one quarter, they went away and thought about it and came back and said, well, we should register to be a B Corp. And we went as a leadership team, we went, "Okay, that's interesting. But where are the alternatives? Is that the right thing to do? We get that we need to do something like this. And the thinking behind it was all very good. But we said, you can't just tell us that's it. You need to give us alternatives. And if you've got a recommendation, that's fine. So they went away again, came back and said, we still think we should register as a B Corp, but we should do something else first, which is a much smaller scale. Other thing that we'll get a small badge for that probably isn't worth a lot longer term, but it allows us to practice and get some of the things in place. We discovered that we were already doing some of the things that were going to be part of that certification. And we're already well into completing that kind of first step certification with an idea. Once we've done that, we'll then start planning the actual B Corp certification Mm -hmm. with the intention of getting that done by the end of 2023. And it's involved everybody. It's had so many benefits to it because, of course, talking to each other, being in the office, um, working on something different. You see different sides of people that they're really enthusiastic about. Mm -hmm. But it's also meant that everybody realizes that strategy isn't something that just exists on a piece of paper. And the way that we talk about strategy is. It's the beacon on the other side of the river. We've got a very big, fast flowing river between us and it, and we're here, we're tiny, we're on the bank on one side with a gulp of kind of, oh my goodness, we've now got to cross this river. And we can't build a bridge. We don't have the resources to do that. What we can do is throw in a stepping stone. So the the strategy, the first place that the fresh off go to is the beacon, how we get there, the next stepping stone might be a bit off to the left, a bit off to the right. Uh Uh-oh, that one's not worked. Let's regroup. Let's do it over there because we've got this problem to face. It's not emergent strategy, but it's an emergent execution. It's made everybody realize that strategy isn't just a book. It's a thing that you're constantly adjusting to, and you have to be adaptable and agile. And a lot of things that we discovered during the pandemic. If I look back, before the pandemic, we were kind of thinking in year-long planning cycles. We did produce reports. We're now much, much more agile than that. And I had a conversation with a colleague a couple of weeks ago where she said, I think you should change the set of reports next year because of this. And I said, well, it's a fantastic idea. Well, it's only January. So what's stopping us changing now? It's like, okay, right, we could make some changes. Probably going to do half of the changes now and half of it next year. But it's fabulous. And I think that the the whole thing about these small strategy projects has really shaped people's senses to how things can change quickly and also how they can contribute to this. So everybody's building the strategy.
1: I love the way you've kind of parceled it up, almost sort of doing like little sprint kind of things and pulling teams from across the organization. I love that.
0: Yes. The, the objective by the end of 2025 is to be the first place that people will turn to in, as professional service firms. So we're in the process of trying to work out how to measure that in, in some sensible ways as opposed to just simply revenue targets and profitability and things like that. That's the aim. That's the beacon shining. We have to know what really matters and we need to know that because our purpose is to be the first... Place that these firms come to when they've got big decisions. So every choice we make has to be informed by: is it getting us in the right direction?
1: It kind of sounds to me like maybe, maybe I've got it wrong. But to some extent, your purpose is your strategy. Yes. I mean, the the way you're implementing it is through these small projects. It's a very agile, stepping stone approach. It's not like, oh, how do we get our strategy to line up with our purpose? It it is, it is our, our purpose. purpose.
0: And it's helped because we, I think, like lots of small businesses. We're quite squirrel-like, by which I mean we kind of – I love squirrels. They're kind of – they're so busy. They're kind of out there all the time. But they do go after, you know, a nut there, another nut over there. It's like, oh, I'm always on the go. And when you're running a small business, when you're part of a small business, you often – you feel like a squirrel, and you often get tempted to be like a squirrel. You kind of going oh, shiny nut over there. Let's go and get that one. Um, and I'm learning, and they're teaching me to be more focused. The whole exercise that we went through that brought purpose together with strategy it's greatest help is the simplicity it brings and the clarity about this. We are still a long way from testing every single decision about does that help us do this, but every day I feel we get ever so slightly closer. Well, I don't know, some days you go backwards a bit, but broadly speaking, it's made it easy to see what we should be doing and easier to therefore stop the squirrel-like activity that I've one am very prone to.
1: I certainly can relate to that personally. <laughs> I think I'm prone to that myself. <laughs>
0: Uh, Indeed, yeah.
1: As you've been on this journey, if I got it right, you started kind of on the strategy work somewhere in 21. Yeah. So we're 18 months or so, something like that, into it. As you've been on that journey, what surprised you the most?
0: What surprised me most is how important it is. So I mentioned earlier that it was a couple of colleagues who said, no, no, we need to get an agency to do this. We can't just think of it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because prior to that, we've been a smaller business. It was running the way the small business is. It was like you know, two or three of us would just come up with a few ideas, and we just say to everybody, "Let's do this," and they go, "Oh, great, we'll do that." So we were all squirrels there together, and very comfortable with it. But as you get bigger and you need a more robust business, you need to think about things more. And it made me realise that there were plenty of things in the past that I was guilty of saying, "Ah, oh, nuts exciting nut, let's go and get it," and then perhaps forgetting about that nut when somebody's standing there going, "I've got your nut for you," and I'm going, "Oh, really? Oh, that nut? No, I want this nut now." I think it helped me realise what's important in the business in a way that I hadn't done and also what matters to people, what helps people contribute to it. I think if I look back on it, I was quite kind of focused on this is my idea, this is what we should do and that's helpful, but it's not enough and actually you need people to feel it's, I mean obviously they need to feel it's their ideas, but I think it's more than that. It's that they understand why they are being asked to do something they remember why they're doing it, they go off and do it and know that if they don't do it, somebody's going to say, why did you not do that? Whereas without that purpose, without that clarity, it's very easy to go back to let's just gather the next nut and forget that we've got a pile back there that we're not really paying attention to. So I think it taught me it is far more important to do. If you'd asked me in November 2021, when we were starting the process, I'd have said, yeah, it's OK, but, you know, got this agency and I'm sure they'll tell us, you know, whatever. And then we'll kind of just come up with some words and then we'll stick it on the oh. website and that's it. I hadn't realised how much it was going to change everything.
1: Hmm. Hmm. And what have you found to be the most difficult part of it?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. What's the most difficult part? Partly, what's difficult is, first of all, knowing that it's not just me coming up with the ideas. I'm not a dictatorial person. I don't think any of my colleagues would say that. I'm quite kind of clear and I'm quite demanding in terms of, oh my goodness, there's this opportunity. I think what was most difficult was for me to not dominate everything um, and to to listen. Hmm. And I still think I'm probably still learning on that journey in terms of this is a collective endeavor. I need to listen to what people say. And I've learned, I've learned a lot about listening. I've really learned a lot. For example, if you listen long to somebody long enough, they actually know what the solution is. And if you get them to articulate that, then they're far more likely to do it than if you say, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. You need to do it differently. Now, anybody running a business has to step in sometimes, occasions when you just have to go, no, I'm sorry. Lockdown is a good example of this. You couldn't have endless debate about it. You just have to step in and say, no, sorry, not everybody's going to agree, but we need a decision, and this is the decision, and that's final. But I think there were plenty of areas where it was good to have a debate and good to think more. One of my colleagues said, your problem, Fiona, is that, I didn't put it quite like that, but kind of, he said, it, and he said it more about the organization, which, but he said it's more set by your, your tone, which is you go, you know, ready, take aim, fire. You go from ready to fire without going through the taking aim bit, and he was right. And I looked back on it, but there have been so many occasions because, of course, you can do that in small business. You can talk a bit about something. It was smart people, so we could come up with something. And before you left the room, pretty much, everybody was starting to execute it. But that bit of injection as to let's do a bit of taking aim before we do this. I think that's been the most difficult thing, if I think about it. So it's partly my role in it, but it's also, it does take a bit longer to do the things I want to do, or that I think we should do, or the business needs to do. It sometimes takes that moment of taking aim. So if Paul's listening to this podcast, which I hope he is, thank you, Paul, for saying, Fiona, the business is going from get ready to fire without taking aim. And I think he taught us that.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, what advice might you give to a, you know, a leader in a different organization who is kind of wondering what they should do about their own purpose and how they might connect it to a strategy?
0: I think every organization's different. And I'm saying that not to get out of the question, but to say, I think you have to be wary about looking at models and taking advice. I think it has to come from a kind of a clear moment where you recognize the need to do something internally mm-hmm. and then you think about what will work for your organization. I'm a fan of advice. I mean, we give advice. Of course, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of looking from the outside in. Mm -hmm. But I think it has to start with something around being clear about what will work and what your organization needs at that moment. And it might not be a purpose. It might not be a strategy. But my guess is that a lot of the questions that people come down to will come down to those things. But then what is it that you, you need about your strategy or your purpose? It's not simply a box to be ticked. This is very much something that I have learned. It's something that has to be really thought of very, very carefully in the precise context of what you're, what one is facing. Mm-hmm. So I think, well, I guess my advice would be to make sure that you that you take aim, that you get set in all of it.
1: <laughs> very good. So, so that message has landed
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's time worth spending. However impatient you are as an entrepreneur, however much you're an optimist about everything can be done tomorrow, it's the time, the thinking time that's needed.
1: Well, let me let me again say. Uh, thank you for joining us been for me it's been insightful at multiple levels um particularly hearing sort of some of your own grappling with small businesses and chasing nuts and i think some very good advice there right at the end so thank you so much
0: thank you for the insightful questions too because we do our own podcast and we know it's very difficult to ask the right questions that elicit interesting responses so i hope it's interesting for your listeners
1: i'm sure it will be thank you so much
0: it's a pleasure.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.